0: Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman, and this is episode 185. I had a chat with Paula Penfold, the investigative uh, reporter and journalist. She's a a, a huge talent who's worked across broadcast media for the last quarter century in the country. Um, We talked about her her life and work. We talked about some of the famous cases that she's worked on and some of the investigations and reports that she's created for radio, for TV, and now working at Stuff for their division Stuff Circuit, which is um, online documentaries and um, long-form interviews. Um, but uh, Paula, I didn't know her at all. I just knew her work. I'm a fan of her work. I used to watch her on 60 Minutes and a TV show called 3D. And I knew she was uh, uh, had worked behind the scenes. She's worked as a producer for TV and radio. So that was of interest too. So we get into some of those stories. She's worked as the producer for, I guess, uh, polarizing... Broadcasters in New Zealand, like Larry Williams and Mike Hosking, and she sh- shares some thoughts on uh, on working with people that you might not share the same um, political opinions or, or any opinions with. But um, but it's a really interesting insight into the into the producer role, I think. Um, and yeah, I just love this chat. We recorded this last week up in the stuff um, building, uh, and. I was up in Auckland for the Fleetwood Mac concert and uh, I jumped at the opportunity to talk to to Paula and I didn't think that she would be interested because we'd never met. We had, I think I say this in the opening lines of the podcast, but uh, yeah, we had appeared on radio together once and not even in the same studio Um, and uh, it was a a pretty inconsequential thing. But... um, I had always wanted to talk to her and I'm always interested in talking to, to journalists, reporters uh, producers and uh, I think uh, there's some really interesting stuff in here about the, the evolution of journalism and we do get into some of the stuff around uh, um, obligations of the mainstream media or uh, portrayals of stories and, and how the media is depicted um, and, and and really really uh, you know what we have to do as consumers of the media as people interested in you know w- what are our obligations and what are we supposed to be bringing to it uh, are we waiting to be spoon-fed and if we are is that the reason we're disappointed so we get into all sorts of uh, themes and discussions and a bit of background behind some of her um big big stories and uh, and uh, and why she does the work really i, I loved the co- this conversation and i hope you do too uh and um, my thanks as always to Tea Leaf Tea, La Petite Chocolat and Yesti Boys. This is me talking with Paula Penfold. Do you know what you've signed up for? Right I've now,
1: today? Kind of. Yeah. Again, yeah. Do you, yeah. you get interviewed for very much? Um, not terribly often, to my great relief, since mm. I'd much rather be... I'm much On more comfortable asking the questions than what, answering them.
0: Why is that, do you think? I guess, oh, I mean, apart from <laughs> learning to do it, but like... Yeah.
1: I don't know. I'm, I'm fundamentally quite a shy person, I think, and so I don't particularly relish talking about myself. Mm-hmm. That's the main reason, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, where
0: did you... I don't know. I mean, we've never met. We just met yeah. before. Um, I feel like we might have talked on the radio at the yes. same time once.
1: Yes, that's and absolutely that's,
0: right. Is that it? Yeah. That's,
1: that's uh, it. That's, that's our history. Our that's history.
0: <laughs> but, but I know a little bit more about you than that, obviously, because I've watched you I watched and followed your work, Thank you. so I want to know, I guess, who you are and why you've come to that work, and how, how you know, how far back, where did you grow up?
1: I grew up in Hamilton, and that's pr- probably where it started. I, I toyed with the idea at high school of being mm. a journalist, and then I wanted to be an artist, and then I wanted to be a music video director, uh, and ended up working at student radio at Waikato University. Yeah. Contact. 89 FM, as it was in those days. Which is a tiny bit of all of those three things, in a way. Yeah, that's what I like about (laughs) it. That's exactly what I thought was cool about it. And then we started doing a bit of news um, on the radio, on Mm. student radio, and I really liked that. Um, And I had a very... I liked the idea of being a journalist, but I didn't back myself enough to be a print journalist because I thought, gosh, then it's written down and people can see that forever. It's <laughs> yeah, yeah. terrifying. Yeah. I far preferred the idea of going to the broadcast journalism course in Christchurch so that once it was broadcast, it disappeared into the ether, as it did then. And right. I thought... You know, that's a kind of a sad admission, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That I, hadn't, I actually had no confidence in my ability to do the job, but I wanted to do it anyway. <laughs> well, you say, yeah, and, and,
0: and you say you're a shy person, but you go to broadcast. Yeah, how weird is but that? But that story comes up, and it's a bit like when you talk, and you would have done this too, you talk to performers, particularly actors. Yeah. I find it the strangest with right, actors. Right, because they're actually fundamentally or, introverted. Or comedians. Yes. You know, often with comedians, you know, and yeah. they're low-key when they go off.
1: Yeah.
0: With an off-tape, you know.
1: Yeah, I guess there's a similar... I don't know why people like that, and I don't know why I've sort of uh, ended up in a position that on some level means you, you know, are in the public eye to some degree. But I guess I've managed to rationalise that by the fact that my role in it is just kind of a facilitator, rather than you know I'm not the centre of attention. I'm just trying to bring you a story, mm. and and I'm just a kind of vehicle. I just sort of write some words and read them out, you know. But what happens? <laughs> but, but that's not always the case. Mm. What
0: happens when you're when you do become? not the centre of the story, but a very crucial element
1: of it. Um, that doesn't happen often. It happened this year for the first time, actually. It's the first time I've um, elected to put my own story into an investigation, and it was when we thought it was timely to to report on abortion law reform. Mm, mm. So um, I talked with my colleagues about whether it might be a useful vehicle, really, to tell the story, to um, make it personal. And that was weird, actually. Mm. But weird but good.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs)
1: Because it brought uh, a reaction that I've never, ever had before. Mm. And I found that um, sort of, I don't know, uh, um, vindicating. So many women have talked to me about their experiences since I still get women every day coming up to tell me about their experiences. And I... So it feels useful that we did something that helped women to talk about. Isn't
0: it. this a thing though? When you open up to something, when you experience something, and then you and you open up to it, and I wonder if this is a symptom of little old New Zealand, perhaps a little bit too. Mm. Suddenly the stories come back, yeah, in double figures and then yeah. exponentially. From, I'm just thinking about, you know. We went through a couple of miscarriages, mm. and as soon as you talk about that, and I have my own obviously, I have my own feelings around that as a male, you're
1: yeah,
0: it's a different story again. And it's a
1: I'm so sorry to hear that, that oh, must be horrible. But but thank
0: you, but it's you know, it's just interesting the number of people yeah. that suddenly start going, That happened to us too, or yeah. or I know someone that that profoundly affected, or you know, even if it's just one step away, yeah, but you would never go around broadcasting it and I get
1: (laughs) no and I get I get why you wouldn't but yeah Yeah. we're all looking for a connection though right ultimately Mm. and once you open yourself up I guess Mm. and show a little bit of vulnerability which you do when you talk about something so personal like Mm. what you've just said Mm. and what I'm talking about Mm. and I think people kind of maybe respect or appreciate on some level you being willing to be vulnerable about it and that allows them to do that also
0: Mm.
1: Mm. yeah connection is the point of it really isn't it
0: but you're also working now for um, for someone, a company, and in a role where you also have, there is a calculated aspect to that too, isn't there? Like did someone, you know, how how much of it was your idea to put your story out there or how oh. much of it was someone going, tap, tap, tap on the shoulder. <laughs> did, you did you have an abortion? Did you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Could you talk about it? Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, does that get sort of boardroomed?
1: <laughs> no, funnily enough, actually. Uh, no, it didn't. Um, but I work with amazing people. I work So in Circuit, Stuff Circuit, I work with Eugene Bingham, who's an incredible journalist and mm. producer. And I you know, have the utmost respect for, of respect for him. Toby Longbottom, the editor and creative director, and Phil Johnson, the cameraman. And we sat around and talked about it and... And whether it would be naff for me to do that or Mm. whether it might work on some level, kind of, you know, throw it around the table a bit. And funnily enough, when we did the first, when it went to the kind of uh, rough cut stage and our boss, who was the commissioning editor, sat down and watched it, that was the first he knew that my story was going to be in it. And he was... Somewhat, I guess, taken aback by that, but mm. yeah. So there was no pressure at all. It okay. was our yeah, idea to yeah, yeah. see yeah. if it would work, and it, I think, I think, I hope it worked. I thought it was useful because it was relevant. Because the law, even though that experience was a long time ago, the law hadn't changed mm. since mm-hmm. then.
0: And I'm, I'm not trying to belittle your telling of your story, but you smirked when I said, you know, did someone tap you on the shoulder? Or right. Something? You know, you're aware
1: that that's yeah, a, yeah. that. Yeah.
0: If that didn't happen here, it could happen.
1: It could happen, happen. <laughs> of, co- of course. Yeah, We're sort of lucky, I guess, in that we've are you know we been around for long enough that we're given a reasonable amount of autonomy, and mm. uh, and so I think they were appreciative of the fact that I was willing to be personal in this instance, but, yeah, certainly there wasn't any pressure, but you're absolutely right. That mm. c- can and I'm sure does happen.
0: Sure, sure. Well, let's, let's go back a bit. So you... Decide to go into broadcasting, mm-hmm. and you you say, you know, I think, well, it'll just disappear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then
1: the internet happened.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna <laughs> say. So, how long were you finding your feet in that way before? Right. So, start, with before it you recognized, able to disappear. Before you recognized the notion of permanence yeah. behind some of the things you were doing.
1: I think I probably this is going to give my age away, but I think I probably had about a good kind of seven or eight years of practising mm-hmm. <laughs> before there was yeah. a permanent record. Although, obviously, you know... This is my mm-hmm. polite way of asking your age, you, know? you, <laughs> you realise that, eh? Like, you haven't figured it out yet yeah, then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like... I don't have a problem telling you my age. Should I tell you my age? Go for it. I'm 50. Yeah. Which I kind of feel like um, it's a good stage in life because I've got a lot of... Uh, experience journalistically behind me now that enables me to feel like I can you know like I say kind of deserve a bit of that autonomy in a way I hope that doesn't sound too Mm-mm. you know full of myself but they trust us they trust us to kind of make some decisions around what we want to do and I think that comes with experience
0: Mm-mm.
1: but I also feel like I've got a you know a ton of work I still want to do so I'm kind of it's a good stage to be in.
0: Age shouldn't matter at all, but I wonder, like you saying that then. I'm like is that a thing we should be doing? Well, you know, is right should, speaking about it? S- well, straight out announcing it so yeah. that it doesn't you know re- addressing it so that it yeah. doesn't
1: matter like when you introduce yourself. I think there's a gendered issue, though, mm-hmm. to be honest, especially mm-hmm. in my industry, and mm-hmm. especially when there's a visual element in my industry. And yeah. Hilary Barry has talked about it a bit lately that, you know, her aim is to be the oldest woman on television, and she's younger than me. She's not, you know, I think she's maybe 49 or something. But there is definitely... Yeah, she's
0: talked about turning 50 sometime yeah, soon, right? right. Yeah, yeah, it's like this year or whatever. Or... I
1: think we should I sh- we should be open about it, but I know some women in my industry who absolutely won't say their names because mm. they think that it gives them a shelf life, and they're quite mm. possibly right, so maybe I'm foolish for revealing it. <laughs> um, but I do think that there's a difference... We should be able to talk about it. And there shouldn't be a, more of a shelf life for women than there is for men. But mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I, I think it's pretty clear, especially actually in New Zealand, mm. that there is. You, know, mm. you look at it, our television screens and there are very few older women there.
0: Mm.
1: No, I agree. And, I, you know, it,
0: I really feel like it doesn't matter, but it is completely a, a
1: gendered it issue. is, isn't it? I think, I'm i sure it is. It, it's not so much in other countries, but it definitely well, is. Why are we so immature about um, that, do you think? I don't know, but I grew
0: up, and you probably did too, with the old white man reading the news, and mm. the younger, uh-huh. <laughs> noticeably younger woman sitting next to him, if there was one.
1: Right, indeed, if you there know. was one. I did grow up with that, and the, you know, you the, know your
0: Philip Sherry's and yes, etc.
1: And the current iterations are a bit different than that, but but, you know. It's Not, there's still a. Yeah. That's right, there's still an age gap. Yeah. There's still a. Yeah. And I look at some of the women um, internationally whose work I admire. Um, Liz Hayes in Australia on 60 mm-hmm. Minutes is one of them. Yeah. Um, There are some really terrific uh, older women reporters at the BBC and on many of the American networks. Their work is so great Mm. that uh, it gives me hope that, you know, maybe I can be around a bit longer. Mm, mm, mm. So when did you
0: feel like you'd, you know, you could do what you do when you started out, like... You, I'm waiting in, for uh, that
1: day, Simon. Really?
0: No, you know, <laughs> well, no, no. I mean, I am. people say that, but come on, like, do you, <laughs> you know, whether it's reading a, a simple weather report, news bulletin, a quick, a quick piece, do you, did you go, you know, were you bitten by a bug by doing it? I mean, you obviously were on some level because you've yeah. changed industries. Uh, yeah, by now. You uh, by now. I'm, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. Rather or I'm than, really slow.
0: <laughs> rather than just go, you know, I'm sticking in this so I can say I've gained the experience. Right. Well, no one's that sort of
1: self-flagellating with this, I would think. There is a bit of a thrill of um, the story. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, but I, And I wasn't just kind of this, I, I mean, it's kind of, I know what you're saying, people say it all the time, but I still don't feel like I've, you know, nailed it. I, I just had a crisis of confidence today, actually, over something really stupid and lost my confidence again, right. you know, so... Do you think that's good, though? Because I've always thought, it's awful in the moment. Yes. But
0: I've had that a lot lately. Have you? And I feel like it's actually really positive. Why? Well, you know, it's good. First of all, you don't want the entitlement of thinking you deserve to be somewhere and doing something because someone's put you there. Mm-hmm. And second of all, maybe maybe you do need to get better.
1: Right, you know, yeah.
0: you, you meaning me in that situation, whoever it's happening to. Yeah, maybe it's good to go. Shit. Yeah, I actually, I thought I knew this and was good at this. You yeah, know? I mean, I I do some talking on radio and I do this podcast and I did the Good Morning TV show years ago, just to, you know, just doing music reviewing, mm. and I never really wanted to to be on TV or doing it, but I've got to admit that I went back and watched some of them as I was doing Mm -hmm. it to see if I could do it. And there were were weeks where you're like, oh, fuck, that is awful. God, what was I I saying? It was garbled. And just as well, it's CD reviewing on Good Morning TV and (laughs) and not delivering breaking news, like in my case. But I still had that thing where I went,
1: Shit, I was fucking. But awful you got like better, that. right? So it was good
0: that you. Well, you get fired, those. so that's <laughs> sort of the that's that's sort of the thing, right? You, yeah. Know, in a way, and we work in related industry yeah. in terms of journalism and broadcasting. In a way, being able to keep doing the thing is, you know, <laughs> someone continuing to provide you the platform yes. and or the paycheck is really the only proof you're going to get. Yeah, that's that true. That, that you're actually that on the you're right doing track. All right.
1: Yeah, and I do. It, it's you know that kind of imposter syndrome thing I saw the prime minister interviewed about it recently and her take on it now um which you'd hope it would be is that at least it sort of makes you strive to be better you're not complacent in your job if you're ever fearful that you're going to be caught out for not knowing what you're doing yeah, yeah. <laughs> right yeah. but yeah sorry to answer your actual question um the thrill of yeah. doing the story Happened relatively, I think, and that's, gosh, that sounds like an absolutely terrible and disrespectful word now that I think about, and it makes me hesitant to even mention, in fact, I'm not going to, (laughs) what the story was, because there's there's levels of it, right? There was covering this story as a young journalist that made me terribly excited about what that meant and your ability to communicate something of importance to the public. But the reason I don't want to say what that story Mm. was is because there are people deeply hurt in that story, Mm -hmm. and it continues today. And so um, my awakening as a young journalist, you know, is a terribly minor thing versus the impact that that case had on their lives forever.
0: Mm -hmm. You talked about... um you know your age in terms of gaining experience and the amount of time you've put into doing what you're doing. Do you, are you able to think back? I mean, it's probably not wise to do it too often, but are you able to think back and go, man? You know, I was just too young to be dealing with that at that time. If I, yeah. if I had what I have now,
1: yeah. You
0: know, were you and were you can you remember being massively affected?
1: Yes. By oh, covering totally many many things. Yeah. One of them was, and one of the earliest ones was the Rolleston train crash. I don't know if you remember Mm, that. mm. Back in about 93 or something. Mm. And it was a scene of carnage, and I'd never witnessed anything like it. And, you know, I I don't want to sound like I'm looking for sympathy because I'm I'm, I'm absolutely not, but Mm. there is a cumulative effect, I think, of covering horrible things and horrible events and talking to people about the deeply painful... Experiences in their lives. In fact, somebody that I was talking to recently in an interview, who's a lawyer, called it compassion fatigue. And I hope I'm interpreting him right. It certainly doesn't mean that you're fatigued by being um, by caring about people whose story stories you're telling. Mm. But I think the cumulative effect of them. Is a little bit kind of like sometimes you feel this collective weight of responsibility of doing the right thing by a lot of people, um, and it's and it's heavy that weight. Mm-mm. And I think that's what he meant by compassion fatigue, and that sometimes you can come out of a big investigation where your, you know, your duty of care and your responsibility towards the people who are trusting you to tell their stories is immense, and it's. Tiring, for want of a better word. Mm, mm. And yeah, some of those stories that I was dealing with when I was young, um, and, and by this I don't mean any disrespect to the you know, vast numbers of amazing young journalists out there who mm. are doing really incredible work, but I look back at my own case and situations that I found myself in. For instance, working walking into the house of Gay Oaks whose husband, partner, Doug Gardner, uh it was the body in the garden case. Mm. And mm. I was maybe 23 or 4, and this poor woman had lived, lived a life of abuse. You know, that ended up being her defence was battered woman syndrome. Mm. And I really, even though I actually had done some study in that field at university, but I hadn't lived, there was no, n- nothing in my direct experience that was able to make me relate to or understand that. Mm. Um, and so I didn't really know what to do or say or questions to ask. Um, yeah, I think I might be better at that now. I hope.
0: Yeah, I, it's it's interesting though because of this is this I think is why our our ages and the stage that we do th- you know come to things at is is always actually interesting and relevant because when you said no disrespect to young reporters that do technology mm. is enabling. Young people to gather experiences in a different way. Mm-hmm. They might not first hand go through the trenches mm-hmm. in the and you know in whatever sense, but they might be quicker at processing right. versions of that and working out the sort of what to sort through and what to bother with and what not. Yes, true. And that's a different kind of training
1: that, that we didn't have. Yeah, definitely. And that
0: we're still we're still gauging as
1: well. Definitely. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. There's a quicker... I'm glad that made sense to you. It did. It totally made sense. And I... But I also wonder whether there's a cost that comes with that too, because there's so much that has to be processed and Mm. so many different kinds of pressures and far more (laughs) demands on them than there ever were on me when I was starting out as a journalist. You know, the fact that they'll often have to be doing, you know, many different roles within... Mm. A one story mm. was never required of me, and I I admire their ability to be able to cope with that and deliver amazing products. Mm. Mm. But it was, I wonder if it comes at a cost at some point, not specifically that in terms of the work requirements, but all of the other many levels of complex stuff that they're having to process and have been, you know, digital natives who have have, have had to process it for their entire lives. I mean, at least I can remember you know, (laughs) playing the Jandal game which was riding around the cul-de-sac on push bikes and picking up Jandals on our feet on a summer's day in Hamilton because you know, (laughs) there was no screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Um... (laughs) 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 I was thinking about um, you know outside of training to be a journalist what sort of things you have taken on board like you know what sort of role models there have been and who you've looked to Mm. either in New Zealand or further afield you know and, and, and do you have like Uh, You know, a Bible of sorts. Right. You know, know, people will mention something like Janet Malcolm's *Journalist and the Murder* or many of the things she's written, for example. Yes. If you, you know, are there little touchstones and
1: tomes in your life? Yeah, but I actually find myself refreshing them, to be honest, rather than coming back to one thing. Mm. Um. And 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 many different mediums, media. Well, was there
0: was there an early one though?
1: Um. uh, There was probably several actually, and yeah, I mean, I think I'm to to be honest. For my you know downtime, I tend to read um, fiction. Yeah. Because I spend my life reading fact and talking to people about fact. Yeah. And you know, some of my friends laugh at me about the fact that. I don't like talking on the phone because I don't like phone conversations. Because the signals work. It
0: feels like (laughs) yeah, yeah, it's triggering.
1: (laughs) Exactly. So I tend to read fiction, but I um, but I tend to seek out really beautifully written fiction or cleverly structured Mm. fiction or something that might be that might be a real story Mm. um, because I think that helps me in the writing that I I hope it helps me in the writing that I do for my job. It's Mm. like you know. The visual people, creative people who I work with are forever watching um, films with a view to adapting that technique in our current affairs and investigative work because mm. the, the production values can translate sometimes. Like the writing of a beautiful piece of fiction can translate to the kinds of narratives that we're trying to build sometimes. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Or Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 totally. Or a really, really great piece of
0: nonfiction journalism long form like absolutely such long form that it's book length or mm. compiled into a book with others mm. can i would think read like great fiction in terms of Gosh, the, the, yes. the, the rhythm and the and the feeling of it
1: yeah, when it's and well the page
0: done. turningness of it yes. <laughs> you know um, and i feel like that speaks to people Outside of the industry, obviously, yeah, definitely. Boxes of essays and things are big sellers. I
1: admire people who can do that. I, you know, I'm I'm only just kind of a novice writer, even though um, for print or text Uh, because even though I'm you know (laughs) I've been around for a while my career until this current job has always been in broadcast writing and writing Mm. for the ear, as you well know Mm. is very different than writing for the eye Mm. and so I'm just starting to learn really about about writing for the eye and it's very and I'm really enjoying it because it's a different skill that I'm trying to you know develop and and it's good to have a new challenge. Mm-mm. Well, speaking of that, I mean, you've
0: worked as a producer. Mm-hmm. And that is um, interesting to me that you've essentially done both. If right. you like, being a presenter and a producer. So, so you know, one informs the other.
1: Yeah, definitely they, does.
0: And it must be very interesting being on both sides of that fence.
1: Yeah, producing such a... Um An underrated role, I think, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, Not many people really understand what the producer does. Um, And I feel kind of sad that I... Now that I'm kind of, you know, the front person, if you like, for what is a really strong uh, collaboration in Mm. our work, I feel guilty often that I get a disproportionate amount of the credit for what is absolutely a team effort. You're the captain of the team. Oh, I'm, I'm not, though. But you don't even want to own that. But, I, no, I don't.
0: But <laughs> that's slightly, you know, It's a slight step back from... Having to suggest you the face of the operation or the front person of it or whatever. Yeah. still you know, every team needs a captain.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I do. I I do kind of recoil a bit because yeah. <laughs> I do, we're we're just so fortunate that we get to work in such a collaborative fashion, and we're actually all really equal and important cogs in that team. Though um, I don't feel that I'm the captain. In fact, if there's any kind of um, issue within our team, it's that we uh, we are so collaborative that none of us can make a decision <laughs> some of the time, because mm. there's no one that is that captain, mm. really, but I like it that way, because mm. we are greater than the sum of our parts, and the, I work with people who are genius at their jobs, and they make me look a shitload better than I actually am, mm. you know, so I do resile from mm. that, but I particularly think that people don't understand what the producer does, because it's a very... No, well it is a
0: background role yeah. by you know, it's supposed to be, isn't it, and I guess that that role has changed a little bit in various organisations. Yes. To meet the demands of, again, social media and technology totally. of us wanting to pry into finding out who everyone is and
1: how, yeah. how
0: the sausage is made. You know.
1: Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Um, but such a vital, in such a vital role that one. The kind of journalism that we do could not be done without a producer. You know, we do the same job. Uh, pretty much day in day out it is just that I'm the one that's you know in the shop window as <laughs> yeah, it <were>. yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but but what did you what did you get from you know Yeah, you did the role for you know some time too, yeah. right? Like, again, okay, like, yeah,
1: ages. Yeah, like I don't know, 13 years or something I was a producer. Um what I think I got from that is that I hope I got them cuz I produced a lot of really clever people in that time who had different ways of approaching things Mm. like interviews or research for interviews or the way that they would present something and I kind of think I've magpied that a little bit and chosen the things that I think worked and tried to amalgamate them into what Mm. I do and maybe there's a little bit of me in that as well but I think being able to work really closely with People who are very skilled at their jobs, you know, when I was a producer and they were the front person, has been really valuable for me. Yeah.
0: What's so, who, who? Who were you working
1: with? You it know, wasn't... the funny thing is, like you and you'd probably, you probably, yeah, it would seem odd for you to say for for me to say potentially. I mean, I used to produce um, Larry Williams, for mm. instance. Mm. And we could be we could not be more diametrically opposed in our mm. points of view about most things. Mm. But I loved working with Larry. Well that
0: would be good wouldn't it? I yeah, mean, it was. You know, for you, that your Taking turns at being the angel and devil on each other's shoulders.
1: Absolutely. I think it was good for the final product Mm, that mm. I could challenge him on his point of view because it would not have occurred to him that somebody would think the way that I did about an interview that we were about to do. But then I learnt a lot from him. He's one of the most thoroughly researched and prepared people I've worked with Mm. in broadcasting. So I learnt a lot from him. And I produced Mike Hosking on Breakfast, who I think... You know, I I don't think that we would share an opinion about anything but I think he's a very clever broadcaster. Mm. Yeah,
0: Yeah, it's funny um, watching people talk about him now Mm. which is very much the meme by Koski. Indeed. And I think that that happened with um, Paul Henry and it happened with Paul Holmes. Yes. And that and I'm not trying to say that they're a little Russian doll. But... it's but they just, are. But they are. <laughs> and it's true just, like, longevity-wise and, um, satur- you know, saturation-wise. Yes. But people are really reflecting on the, the meme of Mike Hosking more than the journalist. And that's about as kind as I'll probably want to be to him as right. well. Like, I, you know, I, I feel no need to defend Nor him. Nor do I. Yeah. Nor do
1: I. Although I enjoyed working with him... And he actually really respected the role of the producer and appreciated uh, Mm. the value of that input. I remember the phone going um, at 10 to four in the morning, and it was September 11, and I was producing breakfast, and it was uh, my boss ringing to say, and I'll never forget these words, uh, the world is falling apart. And uh, I lived in Greyland and it took me nine minutes to get to work. At TVNZ, and we went on air on breakfast, and we stayed on air for eight hours. And Mike Hosking fronted all of that, and he was incredible. That was an incredible piece mm-hmm. of broadcasting that he was trying to assimilate all of this information. And we watched the Twin Towers come down, and he broadcast all of that live, you know, from New Zealand, like trying to assimilate that information coming in from the wires and from different television networks that we were running live feeds from, and. And his broadcast that day was, you know, I just had so much admiration for him. Mm. Um, But, you know, needless to say, I don't watch Mike's Minute.
0: No. I want to go back to what you said in reply to that, those words you remember well, or what the next sentence was. Because, you know, if someone were to ring you or, or me now and say... The world's ending. The world's this. Mm. You'd you think it was because they'd forgotten the password to something, or because <laughs> they, you know, s- someone had put their head on someone else's body on an Instagram it, post, and right. they couldn't work out how to. do That's where we've sort of got to we now had, in terms of trivialising that.
1: Yes, we have.
0: So what you know, you're woke. You know, you're you're talking about a time when, for a start, people still. Probably called first yes, rather than texted absolutely. first
1: on the landline. Yeah,
0: on the yeah, yeah, and so you have no reason to disbelieve to think this is any sort of prank.
1: Indeed, actually, it's a good point because if somebody called at that time now, I wouldn't get or texted. I wouldn't get it because I yeah. have you know my phone on sleep mode. Yeah, yeah, right? You know, have your
0: earbuds and listening <laughs> to your whale noises or you know whatever. Exactly. You know, you know. there's yeah, something yeah. to
1: be said for the landline. Yeah. <laughs> so do you remember?
0: You know, because do you remember what happened next before that nine-minute dash? Yeah, like emotionally.
1: What? Yeah, because it, so this was my boss, Claire Watson, who's an amazing journalist producer who's been around for a long time, and you immediately know if Claire's ringing you at that time mm-hmm. and with her tone of voice that th- this ain't no prank, and I had no idea what she meant, mm-hmm. and when I got into work and saw, the oh right, so you did hits. just spring into action and go, I need
0: to be there, and then I'll find out. it. Yeah. It
1: Yeah, and another reason I'll never forget um, that day is that I was um, only just pregnant with my second child. And actually, September, yeah, yeah, not that pregnant. (laughs) Um, And um, But I remember having to run everywhere around the place, and the director was a really lovely, kind man who kept telling me not to run (laughs) because he was worried about my baby. You know, this weird kind of... (laughs) Well, these weird messages and experiences are combined in my memory Mm. of that day, but um, of course I had never seen anything like that, and I goddamn hope I never see anything Mm. like that again. It was just truly um, mind-blowing, because we didn't know what was happening next, you know, there was... There were the Twin Towers and there were, you know, still planes in the air that were about to crash into something else. It was still unfolding before our eyes and we didn't have any clue how bad this was going to be. It was bad enough, but, you know, where it was going to end up, we had no idea. It was, uh, yeah, it was a horrible day. It's just an understatement. Yeah. (laughs) No, no,
0: but it's, you know, you're experiencing it with, you would have been experiencing it with a form, the way a person handles... A, a grief when there's breaking news of someone passing very close to them. You, yeah. you get on and make the preparations and you host the funeral, perhaps, and then yes, and you then go, afterwards. I'm going to take some time out to actually process that. So yeah. you're, you're speaking more about that, like the yeah. sh- very much the show must go on. And the show... I guess not to belittle the show, but the show suddenly feels more important than it's ever felt of before, course, right? Like yeah. not to say it was never yeah. important. But.
1: Yes, indeed. And I don't know why you're saying that. Just reminded me, cause since we were speaking of Larry Williams just before, and people who have listened to him may have a particular impression of him and what he might be like too. Mm. But I remember being his producer when the Parimalimol prison riots broke out and it, w- it started at 10 to 4 we went on air at 4 o'clock and so of course your whole show is thrown out the window the 12 interviews that you've lined up go and you start from scratch and I'll never forget um, the tender way with which Larry dealt with this one particular phone call which was this girl who would have been maybe 11 or 12 and she called in on whatever the talkback number mm. was And her father was a prison officer, and he was in the prison. And Larry dealt with her with such compassion and humanity and tenderness that I'll never, ever forget that. And so for all that he might be perceived as this kind of, you know, whatever he's Mm, perceived mm, as, mm, mm, that was a really important, beautiful moment of broadcasting about, you know, how you should treat people, and I was so impressed with mm, that.
0: mm, mm. Mm. So you're actually cataloging and you may maybe don't even know it at the time but you're cataloging these experiences of how other broadcasters handle things and you're involved in it but then you go back to front the camera Mm. or go on to front the camera and to do other things and you have this sort of Rolodex of
1: Right, I think you're right, I don't think you catalog it at the time. No. But maybe something remains within you. Yeah, yeah,
0: I've actually suddenly got these Experiences right. that I've seen, you know, yeah. it doesn't mean you're going to try and replicate them, but no. they help you
1: I think possibly. That, I hope I I think that's probably true, and I think some of those things, you know, different kinds of experiences that you've seen other people deal with, um, give you strength when you, because you know, gosh, I still get really nervous about some things that I'm about to encounter. I got really nervous just recently <laughs> when we were in Manila um, trying to find the a guy who owns 8chan. Mm. And that was quite a nerve-wracking experience, just because I had no idea of what to expect when we were walking up to his apartment door. You know, he's ex-military and volatile. Mm. And so I was nervous, I'm not ashamed to admit, but you kind of have to call on those resources to, you know, find something within you to just carry on. Mm -hmm. He didn't answer the door. His wife answered the door, so that was kind of... (laughs) Mm something of a relief Mm -hmm. in in a way Mm. so
0: what happens to you uh, that makes you move from producing for so long
1: Melanie because those
0: jobs still exist
1: you could have stayed doing that yeah I could have Melanie Reed uh, took a year's leave and we were on 60 minutes at that stage and um, and so I filled in for her for a year and just ended up staying on that side of the camera Mm. Um, I still love producing, and I you know may well go back to it at some point because I I love I, there's so much that I love about it, particularly in radio in many respects because of the immediacy and the warmth of it. Um, but there's lots about producing for video that I also still love. But I'm still I'm still learning. I think and hopefully still growing in this role in front of the camera. Um, and so I I. I Yeah, I think I'll hopefully stay in this for a bit longer.
0: So you go from 60 Minutes to 3D. Right. Which seems like a really stupid title now, by the way, doesn't it? Oh, my God. Again, it just speaks to the time of, like... It does. It seems like such... It was a good show. It was a good show. It was
1: a good show. Thank you for saying that. We did some good work, but that was a terrible title. Yeah. Wasn't it?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was. And do you think that's why? Well, because what... (laughs) Is that why the funding
1: got pulled on it or whatever happened to it? I, I know. So. What happened to it was Mark Weldon happened mm, to it. Okay. Yeah, that was the year that uh, Mark Weldon got rid of current affairs on tv Oh, mm, well, that's
0: right, of course. Yeah, yeah.
1: Because we became 3D so, Investigates if, as well and the whole shebang was gone along with Campbell Live a couple of months before that. Mm. So... Um, I, you know, and it's interesting. Paddy Gower on weed this week. So the argument at that stage was that there's no interest in current affairs or mm, journalism. Mm. Paddy Gower on weed is the most, is the most biggest rating of the, program yeah. of the year on that network. So they yeah. were wrong. If they give it, like they've given, you know, rightly, uh, that show a huge marketing campaign. Mm, if mm. you treat journalism properly, of course people will watch it.
0: But there's also <laughs> there is also an argument to be made that plastering journalism everywhere before it's technically happened. And you know it's a show
1: right.
0: yeah. might not be treating it correctly because you know that's a different experience from you getting a phone call and reacting in nine minutes to an a world tragedy. Yes. That's different to taking a couple of years to research and write and produce something, oh gosh, make yes. it make it look beautiful and then basically create a spam campaign so that everyone's <laughs> heard of it. And you know, I, I told you this off tape, but I know I'm saying, you know, disclosure I know Patty, I've interviewed yeah. Patty on the podcast and he's a friend. So yeah. I've I've known him for years. So I'm not shitting on him. I think he of did course. great think he did great work, mm. the, the episode of it that I saw, and I know Justin who directed it and I know him very well and I thought I was proud of them. Great. Because I was able to watch it and go, wow, I can't believe I'm lucky to know those two people cool. that have done good work. But I still recognized the moments where yeah, yeah. the beautiful emotional scene of two men on T V crying, which I think probably did as much for the ratings as anything yes. else, was still followed up by the Perfectly timed journalistic question of you know. Yeah. Now let's just remind people that we want reform and we, yeah, want, it yeah. and we want it now. And but how do we slip that in? That's clever production. It's really it? clever production. You yeah, know, absolutely.
1: Um, they made it personable and accessible and something that people wanted to see. And mm. then, like you say, they kind of almost <laughs> spammed you with the marketing about it. But but it worked. You know, the proof is in the ratings, right? Mm-mm. So yeah, that's. And it's in the
0: spirit of the times in terms of this is where we're at. Mm-hmm you want to people to watch something, you have to remind them every that five seconds before they see it. That's then, right, we're
1: easily distracted. There's a right. lot of things that are competing for our attention.
0: What I'm saying is that's changed since 3D was happening and since yes. it got axed.
1: Yeah, indeed. But you know what, uh, if you're listening, Mark Weldon, <laughs> thank you, because you did me a favour. I love, like, well, this job is so much better than that one was mm. because we are... You know, I love making the kind of journalism that we're making now. And there's not the churn that there was to turn out something every three weeks, Mm. as there was then. Mm. We can now do um, an in-depth investigation and documentary current affairs style that will be, you know, 45 minutes to an hour long. Um, And we can feel really like we've done something, you know, that's that's a... reasonable um piece of work (laughs) which sometimes some of those 60 minutes in 3d stories you know that we put out you're not proud of them all I've got to say because you didn't have enough time to make them as good as they should be
0: well it's a bit like um you know going to a nice restaurant and then stopping on the side of the road to get service station pie or McDonald's right. or whatever. Sometimes it has, sometimes it has to be done because
1: yeah, there's a necessity. That's, that's,
0: that all the time that's left <laughs> for. And so you made, you made, and you were part of some McDonald's yeah. light stories. Mm. But you also
1: had your moments on that show that uh, were impactful. Thank you, thank you. We yeah, there were a few stories that will stay with us forever from yeah. that time period. What's the main one? Tana Porter. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I
0: just, when, when I say it like that, it's because I want you to say that You know, you know <laughs> that. Eh? You know you're that. a
1: skilled interviewer, <laughs> then are
0: you? I, I, I didn't expect you to say that. That's a great follow-up, though. But that's, you know, the idea is that you're supposed to be super proud of that and not and not bashful about that.
1: Right. I mean, it stays with you because it was the bloody hardest thing we've ever done in so many ways. It was really, really difficult. We were um, obstructed. In that work and so uh, it's rewarding to have been part of you know we just did the journalism and sometimes we got too much credit for what happened to Tainer because obviously the legal work was done by Tim McKinnell and Jonathan mm. Krebs and Ingrid Squire and they did a remarkable job of getting that case to the Privy Council and we did the reporting and some different investigations part of which was around the case of Malcolm Brewa and how he got away with mm. what he got away with for so long and so it was, um, what's the word, satisfying? It's a mm. deeper word than that. To see Malcolm Rewa prosecuted this year for Susan Burdett's murder and convicted, finally. Uh, yeah, because that we poured our hearts and soul into that work.
0: Well, I'm t- you know, it... it, it Probably there's no reason to ever go and re-watch that story now and analyse whether it stood up on any sort of technical level beyond the result, but I remember it being a really compelling, compassionate piece of storytelling too. Oh. Like you you, pull, you and your team and the team um, pulled people into a story suddenly, you know, Thank we you. wanted to know about this guy. If we didn't, we wanted to, you know, um, Tainer. I'm talking about. Yeah. And you, there was an, uh, I guess, an empathy created, which Great. isn't always the case with news stories and investigations, no. is it? and journalism, I'm it's glad not, that
1: you think that because that's exactly what we wanted to do. Because. Because we as a society should be concerned. But it took a long time for the Tainer stories to get traction and to Mm. start to rate. Mm. And at one point we were under pressure to not do any more because there was a perception that they were rating not as well as other stories were rating. Yeah. And if it was a... Which wasn't true, by the way. They were rating just the same as any other story. But we were accused of being obsessed by that story within um, management at that stage. And, um, you know, our argument was... You kind of need a degree of obsession to be able to keep on doing this because it's so freaking hard that if you weren't a bit obsessed by it, you'd walk away. Mm. So I don't, you know, we didn't make any apology then and don't now for being obsessed by it because we needed to be. But that was the point. We needed people to understand Mm. that a 17-year-old kid was, you know, in a police station for five days without a lawyer patently, he had no clue what he was talking about, and when we finally got to broadcast those police tapes of that interview, then I think people started yeah. to get it Yeah, yeah,
0: because yeah. do you think, like how much of it like I know that there's a racism angle mm. attached to the case and, and the story in that sense, but how much of a racism angle do you think was applied to your storytelling getting traction? You know, what I'm saying is yeah. if it happened to be a, you know, talented, hmm. white, yeah. good-looking sportsman who somehow found himself in that situation, the yeah. story would be everywhere much quicker, right? Well, yeah,
1: and also that wouldn't happen, wouldn't right? Wouldn't happen,
0: sure. That's um, right, because we, we read those stories all the time about, yeah. uh, you know... The privilege that The privilege that of four, four rich kids up north just getting drunk and smashing things up. Exactly. And they, and they suddenly, you know, they appear in front of court and they... Judge reminds them that they come from yeah. successful business families, so don't embarrass them or whatever, you know, whatever.
1: Exactly, it, there's a, there are versions of that that happen all mm. the time, and mm. I think you. Are, that's an astute observation. There was a great deal uh, of racism attached to the lack of interest in pushing that story through, or even being interested in that story. And you know, I remember at one stage speaking to somebody in the legal system who said we all know that Tain and Porter didn't do it. And I just, I, I was gobsmacked, seriously, you all know this, and none of you are doing anything about it. Forgive me for my voice getting a bit whiny.
0: <laughs> no. But I mean, this is it. This how is does that this, this is the frustration of, of, of seeing people practising law as as it being essentially a game a game of yeah. who's interpret you know, the, the, the law's open to interpretation and it's who's best at interpreting it.
1: Indeed. Forgetting that there's a kid there's a kid yeah. literally involved yeah. in this and who You know, when he was 17, had the intellectual age of a nine-year-old because Mm. of his fetal alcohol spectrum Mm. disorder, which was at that stage undiagnosed, and remained undiagnosed throughout his whole nearly 22 years in prison, I might add. Mm. You know, so he was just failed at every stage. It's just, it was so sad, and that's why it stayed with me, that story. And then how do you... um, How do you...
0: Disassociate yourself from it Or detach from it I mean he gets his payout Of Mm. a couple of million dollars And rings you and says You know I want to You know I want to shout you And your family on holiday Or I want to buy you a steak Or whatever (laughs) (laughs) Whatever it is You know I'm going to send you A bunch of flowers Whatever When does Whatever version of that happen When when do you have to put up the wall And go Story's over
1: You know I Never do I never have And I never will Mm. And I You know you get when you're producing you learn the good and the bad and I remember working with one reporter whose philosophy was once the story's over, I cut my connection with the people mm. who are involved in mm. the story. And that galled me at the time and I and I yeah, vowed that I would never be that person. And I'm and I'm not and I am not and and I never will be. Mm. I just find that abhorrent. Mm. Um, and, you know, back to that idea that I mentioned earlier of the kind of compassion fatigue. Mm. Yeah, there are a lot of awful cases now kind of collected um, uh, and, and I still have contact with those people because I do still care about them and I don't want to be that journalist that just gets the interview and then bails. I mean, I don't. it's not like I'm, you know, Tanya and I are catching up for a... You know, mm, a mm. coffee every week, but we still have contact, and I still. Well, want you've,
0: you've profoundly affected each other's lives.
1: Yes. Um,
0: as a sim- uh, and that's actually a simple way of putting
1: it. Yeah. You know. There's another case that's, you know, I just had a text from her a couple of days ago, which is why it's f- one of the reasons it's fresh in my mind, but, you know, it was the incredibly sad case of Nati Kota Nati, who was a three year old boy who was given back to his birth parents, he was adopted by um, a woman and her partner and in a whanga kind of situation and then was given back to his birth mother and her partner and six weeks later he was dead, um, beaten with the oar of a boat amongst other mm. things. And you know the profound sadness of that case has remained with me and that that adoptive mother, Kura and I are still in regular contact because you know why wouldn't you be? <laughs> you know, I, mm. I felt deeply for her.
0: But how do you, how do you manage that? How do you go ahead managing that in terms of you know?
1: Yeah, you can't keep doing that forever, right? Collecting... You can't keep
0: collecting the <laughs> the stories behind the stories to put it to put it no. sort of crudely, or the people behind the stories. The, the it could become a kind of. Emotional collateral baggage. Yeah,
1: I, yeah I, don't, I don't have the answer to that. It because suddenly really you're, has.
0: you know, have, do, you, do you get to the point where you think, I just want to go to the gym and I'll answer that later, and then you forget, and then do you go, shit, well, are they waiting to hear from me? Yeah. You know, I'm like sh- is that expectation. Yeah,
1: I'm sure I've done that, you know. Because maybe 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 we do to that to everyone anyway. Right. We do that
0: to our friends. Yeah. But when you're doing it to people who you are. Friendly with, but it's a work yes. situation.
1: Yes, I'm. I'm sure I have done that, and I'm sure that kind of uh, accumulated, yeah, to use your word, baggage probably does take a toll. I yeah, I don't really want to think too hard about what that toll is because the therapy might be quite expensive, you know.
0: Well, what is the what? I mean, what is the support? I mean, you've worked in TV and newsrooms, essentially for a long time. What, what sort of support network is there for you?
1: That, does that ever come up? I'm sure it would come yeah. up more now than it did D- absolutely. a while back. Like a while back, you just <laughs> had to be the hard-ass journalist. Yeah, and, if you, and if job. you ever ever considered raising the prospect with anybody that you were affected by something that you were covering, you'd kind of be laughed out of the office, I think. But now there are, there are very different support structures in case uh, in place and, um, and questions asked about whether you're OK. And in fact, on a recent investigation that was, you know, damn tricky and risky, a- a- and on another one coming up, actually, um, the uh, instruction from, from senior management that you can pull out of this at any time. You, 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 just because you've started, you don't have to continue with this. And I appreciate that so mm. much. I mean, it's unlikely I will want to pull out because mm. we're heavily invested in the stories. But to have somebody's understanding that you know your that capability is there and you won't be that won't be held against you. is a yes. new, it's a very new yeah. feeling in journalism. I, you know, this this company that I'm currently working for um, handles those things in my experience really well and generously. Mm. So any other sort of
0: stories or memories worth talking about from 3D or do you want to <laughs> do you want uh, well, and I say it in that way because I'm leaving it open for you to, to thanks. choose
1: thanks oh you mean stories that I did or yeah, was well that you, yeah
0: yeah that you are particularly proud of or uh, or embarrassed by that you oh
1: <laughs> just, I don't you know because of the internet I don't want to <laughs> mention the ones that I'm embarrassed <laughs> they might still be there somewhere um, there's lots that I'm kind of proud of, although that sounds so wanky, doesn't it? But No, yeah. I think we
0: actually suffer from people not being, you know, not being confident to say they're proud of or, you know, feeling like, oh, who cares if it's wanky? Mm. You know? I mean, that's fucking wanky to take a photo of your... What you ate for dinner and stick it over <laughs> there, it stopped people doing it for years, and some people still do it.
1: That's true. Yeah. So, you know, who, who are all these bozos? One of the ones that sticks in my mind actually, I was a producer um, on and worked with the brilliant journalist Karen McCarthy, you mm-hmm. might remember as Karen Pickersgill. Mm-hmm. Um, and it involved us going to a psychiatric hospital in Pennsylvania because a New Zealand woman from Timaru had met online uh, this guy and went to um, the States to marry him three weeks later in spite of the fact that he was in a psychiatric hospital because he had been uh, he was locked up over the killing of his wife and unborn child Um, and there were photographs of uh, him leaving that scene and I'll never forget those photographs, the blood all over him and it was just the most incredibly one flew over the cuckoo's nest type situation mm. this psychiatric institution um, in Norristown, Pennsylvania <laughs> that I'll never ever forget it but the, the reason for telling the story was that this woman from Timoro had fallen in love with this guy. And she, um, and I, are still in touch. <laughs> um, and she maintains fervently that that was a psychotic break from which he's recovered and he should be released from that psychiatric institution wow. and they should be able to move to New Zealand to set up their lives here. Um, so that story has stuck with me because she, Frances, uh, is an incredibly beautiful um, in every sense word Who, who's d- doing something that she believes in so stridently and she feels that he has been so wronged and she has this boundless endless love and compassion for him I think she's an incredible mm. woman and so that story kind of had a bit of it all going on mm. and it stayed with me Was there follow up in
0: there uh, you know what was going so wrong in Timuru? What do you mean? Dating scene wise? Oh. <laughs> or is that just me being horrible? Damn! <laughs> you know? Damn! That was the obvious follow up, wasn't it? And I missed it. <laughs> you can't get them all, That's you know. Right. You know you've, you've had a few pretty good hits. You can't. You can't get them all. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, it might still be the case. Maybe I'll make some inquiries, Timaru. We're looking for a further investigation at the moment, actually. So that may be the one.
0: Well, I think all the really Timaru punches actually above its weight for really. Interesting creative people that come from there and disappear. Right, right. That go off to other places in New Zealand. And uh-huh. Somewhere in their story, mm, it turns out that they went they to school in Timor. Timor- oh, there's nothing wrong, they just escaped. Right. They just. There's lots of people.
1: Yes, I discovered in a Twitter conversation recently that there's a hugely disproportionate number, for some reason, of women journalists, particularly who come from Hamilton. Like, really? Why would that be?
0: Well, I would have... All I can say, I don't know much about Hamilton, but I definitely figure it's a place you come from. Right!
1: I hope my mother is listening to that. <laughs> well, well... <laughs> having do, lived in Hamilton for all of her 85 years. Does she, does she watch you on the, on the box? She's my um, uh, most ardent supporter, and I appreciate that. Who's your toughest critic, apart from yourself?
0: Because um, that's your easy answer.
1: Yeah... Um, that's a good question. Probably, you know, people within the company who we, who we ask to view our work before we publish it. And who, who, you know, Terence Taylor, our longtime executive producer on 60 Minutes through 3D. I wonder if it was his fault, that name, 3D. Um, <laughs> and he's now our consultant executive producer on our current series of New Zealand On Air-funded investigations. And his job really is to be the fresh eyes and say, I'm oh like, that just does not make sense, right? Mm. And so he's, I, you know, he's genius at that and mm. I really appreciate it. I was going to say, what's it like hearing,
0: I mean, obviously hearing that is useful and necessary, yeah. but what's it like in the kind of deflating sense? Like, are
1: terribly? They, yeah,
0: <laughs> like, is that where some of these crises of confidence right. come from that Maybe. you mentioned?
1: He can pay for my therapy. Well, then. <laughs> No, he does it in a, he's a lovely uh, British man, he does it in a very gentle fashion, and he's very mindful that we're delicate, we flowers, and that um, we will be deflated, so he usually says it in a very nice way, or sometimes he just, he literally does this, he sometimes just goes, what? <laughs> and when I say sometimes, actually he's doing that more and more, What? Which, it just isn't, it's not making sense to him and of course you need that feedback because we've been so closely involved for the past however many
0: mm-hmm.
1: weeks or months that we don't see the wood for the trees sometimes. So yeah. he's a, probably our harshest critic. Patrick Crudson, um, the editor of Stuff, is also. He has a really clever eye for similar kinds of things and, and their job is to make our work better and I think they do.
0: Just like when you were producing... Right. That was your j- part, a big part of your job, was to, to help the hosts look as good as they look yeah. and sound and be as good as they could, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think that's why um, uh, many people don't stay in producing because you know it's a really, it's a quite a thankless. Task mm, at a lot times. of a lot of
0: a lot of work and not a lot of um,
1: recognition. Well,
0: it's the classic, isn't it? If the if the show goes wrong, it's the producer's exactly. fault. If the show goes right, it's the host's, yeah. or the directors, or whatever. Probably that's uh-huh. that's that's the sort of yeah. lineup. It's one of those jobs. I
1: think it's a bit like that. So big shout out and kudos to Eugene Bingham. We've worked together for ten years mm, now, mm. and he, hes the best journalist I know. He's—he's mm. he's amazing at his job. He—he mm. he thinks of things that would never occur to me, and he, you know, we—if we're doing a big interview, we'll—we'll we'll bloody, you know, flowchart it. The question might, the answer might go this way, and then what do I say? You know, like we spend so long researching those the big interviews. The, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Um, and I couldn't do that without him. So. Yeah, I wish people had a better understanding of that important role. Um, And what about,
0: I mean, I feel like it was probably 25 years ago, certainly 20 years ago, we started to get this boom and documentary film being taken seriously as a Mm. cinematic
1: Mm.
0: option, as as a... when people still went to the movies, you'd go to the movies and see, you know, Michael Moore's a good example yeah. of someone that, whether you like his work or not, mm-hmm. um, he's one of the reasons people take documentary seriously that's in a mainstream being. sense. So that's kind of helped you out, right? Is it that
1: long? Is it <laughs> yeah. that long ago, Twenty, twenty-five 25
0: years? Roger and me is like... Mm, right. Yeah. Oh, Mid- wow. Early to mid-90s. <laughs> yeah. It, uh,
1: yeah, I mean, it's a...
0: But that directly has helped... I mean... Go back to um, Paddy Gower on Wade, you know, mm-hmm. it looked like the look of it, the look and feel of it, yeah. outside of the subject matter, mm-hmm. it could have been
1: put in a film festival. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, I have to confess I haven't seen it right. yet, and okay. I will be watching yeah, it yeah. this weekend, but yeah. I hear from my workmates that it was excellent, and, yeah. the, and those reasons that you cite are, are part of the reason that they assessed it as being excellent. And, yeah, which kind of goes back to my, you know, I, because I've mostly worked in television, or we're now in kind of <clears throat> online video journalism, it, I I find it kind of a, 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 just a frustration that New Zealand television for a time went through this period of disregarding that genre, thinking <clears throat> that people didn't want it. <clears throat> well, now you look at you know documentaries that are on Netflix, and you look at say Making a Murderer, and you <clears throat> look at some of those examples that you cite. Well, there's clearly a huge market for it, but for some reason, for a period there, commissioners decided that New Zealand audiences didn't want it. And I think that they were very patently wrong. Mm. There's definitely a market for it, you know? We, uh, yeah, people like to watch something in depth, and maybe it's an escapism from the kind of. You know stuff that we're consuming rapidly and rampantly mm-hmm. all day, every day. To sit down and have a little bit of a break from that, and watch something that you can, yeah, sit with and 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 let sit with you.
0: Mm-hmm. And what about the? I mean, this I know I know stuff does this, and, and lots of places do this, but the the kind of um, long form podcast series that explores something now is, mm. is playing into this massively too where people mm. have decided and there's been some excellent ones yeah you know, gosh yes. the David Bain one mm-hmm. is, is, is really Gone good fishing. yeah and that one are, are really good I think mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, and obviously they're getting made all around the world but New Zealand's kind of Caught up with that, yes, but we haven't quite caught up with the as you say, the Netflix making a murderer style thing. We've got, yeah, we've got the work that you're doing and uh, the stuff unit's doing, but that's and the, the Herald has its version of it,
1: yeah,
0: but that's still single episode, yes. you know, tackle, yeah. a su- tackle a subject in one 20 or 40 minute.
1: That's right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's still a ways to go, isn't there? I'd like to explore well, do you think those we can, things. Yeah, and do you think we can sustain that? Like, Oh, hell yeah. We've got the stories, right? We've, we've got the storytellers. Te- we've got people got like you. Stories. We've got the storytellers. Thank you. We've definitely got the stories. Um, and and I think there's plenty of people... There are so many people who are, who have the ability to tell those long-form stories. Mm. Um, it's just a matter of, uh, again... You know, maybe it's not television. You know, maybe... Aside from, you know, as we've been talking about Gower on weed rating so well. And maybe that's instructive, too you know, the bosses in television to have a rethink about where they went heavily kind of entertainment-driven for the past Mm. few years' reality, whatever they call that, constructed reality stuff. Mm -hmm. Actually, when your biggest programme of the year is a documentary, maybe that might give them some pause for reconsidering the direction that they've taken. Mm. But maybe, you know, Netflix-like, maybe streaming, um, you know, online uh, versions of that kind of long-form and serialised documentary telling uh, is where the future lies.
0: Mm. I'm interested that you said, every, you know, your colleagues have talked it up, mm. said that it was great. Are you also like, damn, damn, no. I, I, I want that, you know, I wanted oh, that. No. Or, or like, I want that in an aspirational, you yeah,
1: know, yeah, 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 you know, oh, not, yeah. Not
0: a jealousy thing, but De- like no, a...
1: Definitely not a jealousy thing, know, because I think... Um, that that's good for all of us as, you know... Yeah, it
0: affirms, it affirms and, what you're doing, and, yeah. you know, we're not we're not quite for the trash heap yet. We're totally. not going to cancel TV yet. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, know.
1: or make it all Love Island yeah, or yeah. whatever. Actually, they didn't commission that in the end, did they? <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I take great heart from those kinds of figures. It just mm. kind of proves what we've been saying for many years now, that actually when you give it, when you treat it seriously and give it the resource that it deserves... You know, which is still well less than you'd spend on a married at first sight or whatever. Mm. But when you treat it with respect, then the audience will respect it and you'll get, you know, you'll get it back and, you know, truckloads. Mm. So no, gosh, no jealousy. All kudos and respect to um, Paddy and uh, Justin for making such a great piece of television. And I really do think it's good for for all of us in associated Mm. industries.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: We've been talking a lot about... um, Aspects
0: of your work, and it makes it sound like you work all the time. Is that the case? And also, I guess another thing I want to ask about is you've talked about staying connected with people from stories, and and that's largely been positive. Mm. What's the flip side of that? Ab- um, abuse in the street, feeling mm-hmm. intimidated. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you mentioned feeling intimidated going into a story. Yeah. How long lasting has you know, I, I guess a callback to intimidation being
1: you right. Um, you kind of, I mean, there were really unpleasant aspects of it, but I try not to dwell on those. Obviously, mm. you know, we we cop a fair amount of trolling, and I cop a fair amount of abuse by email. Um, and What's your policy?
0: Delete, delete, delete. I, or? I
1: used to engage with it and I can't be bothered anymore mm. most of the time unless there's a something particularly, you know, something if, gets to me. <laughs> I was going to say, it's
0: a bit like, from my experience, it's always been that if they have niggled at something and actually said I've said something that I haven't, right. I might feel like I yes. want to jump in and, a, it, and defend it. Correct it. it. Correct it. Yep. I didn't actually say that, I said this or yes. but... You realise that's
1: not. It's kind of not worth the to, energy. You need is to it? let
0: that go too, because that's just you're just opening another door.
1: Yeah, I think yeah, that's my policy these days. I mm. used to spend quite a lot of energy in engaging, and these because I sort of thought, you know, this is back in the early-ish days of Twitter. I sort of thought it was beholden upon us to have those conversations with people who bothered to watch and then bothered to contact us positively or negatively. Mm. And then after a while I realised that it could become consuming and you'd feel anxious actually waiting for the next reply nice. and this was on a Saturday morning and I wasn't, you know, engaging with my kids properly or whatever the situation might be and so mm. now I just, I, I can't be bothered. Is that bad? I just can't be bothered.
0: No, but it's funny, I've, what, I, what the only thing I've noticed is that if people jump in on a, particularly on a forum where like a social media forum and they think they're going around you and straight to your boss or right. whatever. Right, oh, yeah, that happens, yeah. They go all guns blazing, but yeah. they, they get talked down from it very quickly. So what yeah. I mean is, I'll give you an example, I talked about Fleetwood Mac on Radio New Zealand a couple of weeks ago, and I did a 40 minute chat about the band, a broad survey, and at the end the first comment was, on the facebook page for the show the first comment was you know something like oh bloody typical sweetman he should have done this i wish he'd said more about this guitarist and told the real story and and i and i saw it sitting there and i thought no that's fine and then i and i thought i'll just try something so i just wrote back and said hey hey such and such thanks for listening bit of a broad survey so can't fit it all in right and straight away he wrote back and said really love love your comment cool. on most stuff now i didn't think i'd done anything clever there but i actually think it's kind of funny how right how people are almost training themselves to be an attack dog to get yes, hurt. Yes, yes. And then when you do, you know, it's that thing we talked about earlier about the idea of connection with people. Right. When you do create a connection, mm-hmm. they just turn it back around. Like, this guy got that I was actually a Fleetwood Mac fan and so was he. So why should we be Fighting throwing with each fucking bums at each other, you know? We should be talking about deep cuts that no one else we think no one right. else knows, of right? Of course. Yeah.
1: I think you're absolutely right and sometimes, especially if it comes as a kind of, you know, more formal type complaint, mm or through the Stuff Circuit email address, for instance, then I will reply, one of us will reply. Mm. And often it's precisely that. They just want to be heard and acknowledged. And once you counter it with whatever it might be, and it's not necessarily defending your work, it's just hearing them, then the tone changes completely. And, and you know, I genuinely do appreciate the fact that they've bothered watching, and so they deserve that in that instance. But I think that's quite distinct from... You know, the anonymous trolls on Twitter who just call you, you know, there was one earlier this year with the abortion investigation whose theme on and on and on until I blocked him, I'm assuming it was him, was so you just wanted to be able to murder your baby in peace. So you know, I don't. You know, there's no point in engaging with that, is there? I'm not going to change his mind, am I? (laughs) No,
0: no. And that's the thing. I think I saw that. You know, if this guy had had said, I don't know why I listened to that. I don't like anything Simon says about music. There's no point in me going there. But because. I'm like, as I say, I, he's a fan, I'm a fan.
1: Yeah. it's much more let's, common ground than not. Yeah,
0: that's right. Like, let's get to that rather than the silly stuff. Part. Yeah. So it becomes about spotting a troll, doesn't it? Like,
1: yeah, and I wonder if we, you know, whether we've become far more, we collectively have become far more likely to go down that path of a kind of, you know, aggressive first outing. mm than actually the, the positive stuff, you know, people are. Well, we're all
0: fighting to be heard, that's what I mean. Yeah, we're all this, fighting to get I mean, noticed. There's just noise,
1: there's so much noise, isn't there? And so if you think that you can go on the attack in order to get some cut through, then maybe that's why people. I don't know if that's why people are, are, are doing that. I have to say though, like I. Yeah, but it, and that was specifically an answer to your question about the negative shit, mm, but mm. actually the positive stuff well and truly outweighs the negative stuff. The, mm. the f- positive feedback about, you know, a particular investigation will be much more heartening than the negative stuff that you get. And does
0: that happen face-to-face very much? Do you get people... You're a recognisable face, you've been on screen. Do you get people come up to you and say... Mm. Thank you for the work you did for Tainapura, or, or, or I, yeah. you know whatever it is, or I loved that thing you did.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, not you know.
0: Not every day. Not every but, day,
1: no. but that does happen, and it's. Um, I'm always kind of surprised when it happens because we're quite shy people as a nation, really, aren't we? So it's, it's somebody's gone out of their way to do something nice for me, which is to tell me that they've appreciated work that we've done on something, and. And it makes gosh! It absolutely, of course, it makes me feel good that somebody would bother to do that. It's a really generous thing to do, isn't it? To, to say something that doesn't need to be said. Yeah, mm. it's nice. Mm. It is nice. Somewhere in there, I also asked you, and then I, I buried it by
0: asking another question on top of it. But I wanted to know about how much you, how much work is involved in the work you do. Yeah. So uh, I know there's no one answer mm. but i guess what i wanted to know too is as idealistically you might think that you finish an investigation and you get to take a big break <laughs> and go somewhere you know but we know that obviously doesn't happen because of the yeah. practicalities of life yeah so how do you how you know how how do you unpack in a short moment
1: uh, yeah, that's in a mindful gosh, kind of sense or
0: whatever from doing something and then switching hands. I just do
1: I'm not at the moment. It's a very pertinent question because we've just come off one big investigation and we are now straight away into two more at the same time running concurrently. Um, and you just sometimes I think I'm really bad at unpacking and just setting that stuff aside. I mean I've been getting into meditation a lot more in the past two years. Mm. And, and when I stick in that routine and when I stick in the routine of writing in my gratitude journal, mm. truly, mm. Um, it really helps. It removes me from the, the constant thinking about the story it takes me out of that space, and and it really makes me feel happier. Mm. But at the moment, I haven't allowed myself that time because I think I'm too busy, but I'm going to be much more productive if I actually do apply some discipline and sit down and mm. and, and take that 15 minutes to meditate. Yeah. I've, just,
0: I've been around a few more broadcasters a, a bit more often lately, and some of these people are burnt out husks <laughs> and yet right. and yet they're great at what they do and yeah. yet again the sort of one of the themes of what we we're talking about is they only hear when they're not uh-huh. um, and mm. you know and and or whether they hear it or not there's chatter about oh that person's not very good they didn't do this they missed this bit from yeah. some, from you know from Johnny Armchair <laughs> um, so
1: yeah. it's they burnt out husks Scott you were looking at me closely when you he- <laughs> You're trying to tell me something, Simon.
0: No, 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 no. Well, I mean, you know, no, I'm just saying, like, uh, it's, I mean, we all feel like that at the end of whatever our job is from Mm -hmm. time to time. Mm -hmm. I'm not at all suggesting that anyone in the media or in broadcasting deserves anything more. Different, no. Anything different or any sort of superhero badge. But there are some different tolls and pressures. Yes, there are for people working in police and all sorts of emergency yeah. services and so forth too. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm not trying to elevate it.
1: Yes, I'm
0: just trying to speak to an experience I've noticed.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think you I think you're absolutely right to notice that. I, somebody just said to me the other day that it's no surprise there's such a high burnout rate in this industry. Um, but I I think you know maybe this contradicts what I just said about. Um, not giving myself space to, you know, do those things, I still absolutely fucking love this job. So it's not like it's a chore, Mm. you know? Like, Mm. it's so rewarding and exciting and thrilling, and I feel completely fortunate to be doing it. So, you know, I'm not complaining. But we only see the finished work. So what what are the investigations that,
0: you just have to give up and go, that's, we were, yeah. we were led down a path here, there's nothing. Right. Or or we don't have, you know, we can't get the one person we need to yeah. to speak or whatever, you know, like. Or we can't get it across the line or, because a boss doesn't want us to do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. how much of that goes into, you know, I was thinking like, yeah. when, when you when you are responsible for, you know, like a finished product service that we consume Mm -hmm. if we do. That's all we're seeing. And so, again, Johnny Armchair thinks, well, there's a lot of swanning around
1: in order for that. Yeah, I remember somebody once crunching the numbers when we were first funded for the Valley, which was our Mm. Afghanistan investigation. And they did the numbers on how much New Zealand On Air had paid per minute of product. And I just, you know, it's precisely what you're speaking to. It, seriously, that that's not how it works, mm. the minute of product is not, you know, that's not where you apply the cost, the cost is spent on the Research and the meetings that don't necessarily, Mm. you know, result in anything and the assessing of a story that you might spend actually weeks and sometimes months on that never makes the cut. Mm. You know, you cannot... That is an equation that just does not... The arithmetic just does not stack up. There's a lot of work that goes into it that never sees the light of day. On the other hand, you know, there's a stack of folders of stories that have been started that one day will see the light of day because it just takes that one Mm. person to fill in that gap that was missing at the time or that was present at the time and they fill that gap and then you've got the story and sometimes you know that does happen with us that something that we had given up on we find a way in and resurface it sometimes several years down the track yeah there's a timeliness
0: to things too that somehow you can't you don't know
1: yes until
0: it you know until it until it is what it is because as much as a documentary on weed in New Zealand could have happened and at any time,
1: yeah,
0: it's genius it's timing right, right now, <laughs> which is which is a big you know a polarising issue at a time when it's actually going to be part of a conversation that people can have. Yeah, that does mean to to slightly take back from Justin and Petty. You know, yes, they were always going to get an audience because of this, right because then okay. they, but then they capitalized on it by doing very good work.
1: That's exactly yeah. right that, and that's clever story selection, isn't mm-hmm. it? There's an mm-hmm. interest in that topic of conversation and the timeliness to it meant that it was you know never going to be a sure bet, but you'd have to be pretty confident that it was going to work. I feel like all we
0: see is the dance,-huh, and we don't think about Everything that goes into the dance happening, you know, everything that gets yes. every person to the dance. Yeah. You know, how many thousand hours of ballet lessons did you right. do to get to the dance and then
1: everyone in your crew? And how many, you know, hours of footage are not in that final cut? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of thing. Yes. Yeah.
0: And everything that you studied from anyone that's gone before you and right. whatever as well. That's all. And it's funny that in a lot of other industries that whole story approach Mm. is being assessed
1: yeah that's true you know yeah yeah but again you don't you it's nice of it to be likened to a dance thank you (laughs) um but again you only do it because you want to right and I feel so fortunate that I work with people who make it into a dance and it's fun actually we bloody have a great time too even when we're working in the darkest and you know shittiest yeah. topics we make sure that we also have a bit of a dark laugh along the way because i think otherwise you'd go batshit crazy you?
0: but it is a i mean an interview i think is a, is a dance it is a you know it's a it's a two-hander a performance you, a performance it's absolutely a performance mm-hmm. and it's a two-hander and i mean you and i are having an interview now that's more of a conversation but mm-hmm. it's an interview i'm lobbing things to you to answer and occasionally I'm deciding I'm going to answer them because... Because pod- you can. Because I can, because it's a podcast yeah. and I'm not getting and what paid. More, for it. it's your podcast. I'm not getting paid for it, so I'm <laughs> so earning... You can do whatever uh, you well want that, to. That's right, but this is still a, you know, you know when you're going to clam up if you want to or... Right. Or whatever, and I know what things I can get you to answer and
1: yes. to some degree
0: and what I can't. Right, So okay. we yeah. each have our...
1: Yes. Our
0: and our defences
1: and our you know. Let me tell you about the funniest one of those though, and it was in relation to the Tainer Porter mm. investigation. And we'd been asking the police for I can't even remember how long, at least a year for an interview. And they finally relented and I sat down with the Deputy Commissioner of Police and that was one of those interviews that I was talking about before where Eugene Bingham and I would go mm-hmm. through the, you know, variances, what will you say if he says no to this and mm. we will, um, And so there was a, a, a particular we weren't imagining this the communications person who was in the room of course for that entire interview would cough and uh, the assistant commissioner deputy commissioner would say two juries found him guilty It's like whenever the interview was getting to a point that it was becoming Mm. difficult or problematic in some way (laughs) from the sidelines, two juries found him guilty. And it's kind of almost laughable. And I thought, you know, are we really that overly comms in this country that 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 happens? And more to the point that you think that you can get away with that. Mm. And worse than that, actually, you kind of look a bit of a... It wasn't a great look to just keep on saying that when there were so many problems with that investigation. Mm. Slightly off topic, but yeah. Mm, mm. There's a number of kind of different factors to the performance, including third parties who are kind of con- contributing to the performance sometimes. Mm. Yeah. Who have you been most nervous to interview in a, in, a, in, a,
0: you know, in a positive setting because you were like, well, I can't believe I'm going to meet this person? Or... Yeah, I'm worried that they're gonna. I don't have the stuff to get through this, right. or, or that, or whatever you know. I don't. I don't mean chasing. Yeah, you yeah, chasing bad to fight, guys. But chasing bad guys. That's right. I don't mean that. And worried that you're going to get threatened to get the bash. But I mean like.
1: <laughs> but um. So in terms of that kind of see, I uh, uh, this is probably because of the path that I've taken in journalism which mm. has always been serious journalism I never get to sit down and <laughs> interview my idol you mm-hmm. know I never get to sit down and interview somebody I'd like to have the dinner party mm. with mm. so I'm never kind of overawed in that way by someone's fame or because I just never get to do those kinds of interviews I'm, I'm more often I'm more God, I'm just, I'm a bit too studious and serious at <laughs> that but I'm more likely to be nervous about doing a good enough job of telling somebody's story and getting enough of the right questions out to get enough good answers for somebody who really bloody deserves to have their story told. And the one that springs to mind is Malcolm Rewa's first rape victim, New Year's Eve 1987, and she told the police... Who was her rapist? A week later, she saw him at a house. She came down the stairs and recognised his voice and saw him, and she went to the police with his name, Hammer. And they said that's his gang name. You need to find his real name. Seriously, that's what the police said. They was didn't a, even was there a cough? <laughs> yeah, pr- probably. They didn't even bother going to see the guy that was named as the alibi for six months. Mm. So it might, it's a bit mm. convoluted. But I felt. You know, she was placing incredible trust in us, that Mm. woman, Mm. to get this story right and to finally give her a voice that she had never had, you know, since 1987. And this was the, you know, this was maybe about 2013 that we did that interview. She wanted to say, they messed up my case. They messed up my life. But not only that, if they had taken me seriously in 1988, they would have arrested Malcolm Brewer and he would not have gone on to rape 25 other women and kill one of them, right? So those are the interviews that I get nervous about because yeah. I feel a huge mm. sense of responsibility that I need to be able to do this with the respect that she deserves because this is traumatic for her um, and with enough factual information that enables us to take that away and turn it into something that, you know, is a compelling piece of journalism mm. those and, ones stress me out no and have you
0: had I mean no you know I'm, I'm not trying to um, constantly ask you about failings and failures within your <laughs> job but have you had situations where you know like we talked before I turned the recorder on about how um, you know you want to try and make people feel comfortable in an interview situation Sometimes you can't, right? Yeah. And it's it's maybe not... Well, it's probably not because of you, but that's not necessarily what you first think. Yeah. God, how did I fuck that up? What did I do wrong? How did I present?
1: But, you know... Mm. uh, Yeah, yeah, I've had plenty where I feel kind of disappointed that we didn't quite get there, mm. and I'm sure... You got... Enough stuff Enough. or some stuff, but it but didn't I, pop, and you didn't. In a, yeah. And I've definitely missed questions. Mm. You know, you get back and you read the transcript, or you mm. in the old days, mm. really recent days actually, transcribing mm. rather than putting it through AI to transcribe it for you. Mm. Um, go. What? Why did you not ask that obvious follow up question? And you berating yourself. Um, and I do think that sometimes when people aren't comfortable. That's on me. I -hmm. I haven't made them comfortable, Mm. and they're they're more nervy than they should be, or they're not saying things in in the way that they would probably like to have said them, and that's definitely on me, not on them. I mean, it's a kind of weird environment to find yourself sitting down with three cameras and lots of lights Mm -hmm. and a dolly track and four people in the room. So there's that, but my aim is to get them not noticing any of that, you know, as quickly as possible, mm. and sometimes you succeed and sometimes you don't.
0: And it's funny, you kick yourself but about those moments, but is it more annoying when someone else points it out to you? Why didn't you ask that, isn't it?
1: Yeah, because
0: because you know straight away kind you of thing know. Is what I mean. Yeah. I th- I'm thinking like, and I I have no problem with people criticising what I do, I really don't. But if I if to go back on that, if I have one, if I have one annoying that one thing that annoys me at the moment is someone saying I listen to your podcast with someone, and this will run, you know, the podcast will run an hour, ninety minutes. Whatever. I listened to it. I can't believe you didn't ask them this. (laughs) And I want to say, I've never said this, I'm just saying this to you now and for anyone listening, but I want to say, but what about all the things we did talk about? Uh You know, because this is a different kind of thing. This is about. Kind of seeing how the sausage get made and, totally, and, and what gets right. you to the dance. That's probably what I am trying to do. Is
1: right. You know,
0: I don't want to ring you up and talk to you for ten minutes about what you do because not only can we not cover it, but then you're just going to say the same thing that you True. say when you've been on the cover of the women's magazine or
1: <laughs> whatever. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I. Yeah, your questions are much more interesting. This is a conversation, and I it's it's nice to be involved in. Thank you for the invitation. Mm. But um, yeah, it's. What was the beginning of that? Oh, when you. I'm just saying when
0: you when you when someone points out to you right. and you forgot to say something or you messed something up that's actually more annoying than mm. you because you spot it. That's mm. what I'm saying. Like I'll go away from here and go. Why didn't Why didn't I ask you that? Will you though? No, 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 I won't. No, I won't. No, 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 but I probably will because or I'll listen to it back. It probably is more the thing. I, right. I, won't, I won't when I walk out of here. But when I listen to it back, mm. I'll go, or what I'll do is go, why did I mm. not let you talk for longer about that would be more the case or, or why did I jump in? Right. Share my own irrelevant story. But <laughs> yes. you know that's because, that's because it's fucking my podcast and I want to do that. That's that's the golden defence. Absolutely. In this case. Yeah, but, yeah.
1: I am sort of lucky in that again I have um, work with an amazing producer and if I've really fucked something up, he, yeah. he's there and he'll tell me that, yeah. you know. But he says it in such a nice way that you don't feel like it's another, a, but, uh, he's it, having to dance around yeah. that fragile ego thing. <laughs> Totally, I'm sure it must be a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Yeah, so I'm lucky in that there's that safeguard there. And, you know, there's been the occasion, I remember one particular, God, it was just, it was a nightmare interview. Um, And it was actually, I won't give the context, because, again, it's kind of disrespectful to the gravity of that situation. But we'd had a pre, as we always do, have a kind of, chat on the phone in advance so that we've got an idea of what we can cover, which had gone fine. Then we sit down in the interview and he says like, nothing. Like, absolutely nothing. And we get to the... I mean, I'm just kind of exasperated and I've run out of, out Mm. of ideas of things to ask. And at the very end of the interview, and I remember learning in journalism school that this is the one thing you're not supposed to do, although I have no idea why. You're not supposed to say is there anything else you'd like to add?
0: (laughs) Oh man, I do that all the time. I reckon (laughs) it's one of the best questions. It gets you out
1: of a bind, right? (laughs) That's exactly what it did. I said, kind of desperately, pleadingly, is there anything else you'd like to add? And he delivered this incredible (laughs) line. Like it was just fucking beautiful and perfect. But then the cameraman says, oh... I was on a two-shot <laughs> interview, <laughs> that grab, um, in the middle of a repo. Can we do it again? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, yeah. man. Hey, I've just realised my tape's not actually running. Can we do this again? <laughs> Gosh, that's embarrassing. That is embarrassing. You don't mind, do you? Can we go? <laughs>
1: Luckily, I <laughs> can
0: leave we we a word saying? <laughs> um, I saying. I, I just about always... Finish these conversations by saying, "Is there anything you wish I'd asked you? If, is there anything you want to add?" Sometimes, most probably, most of the time, I leave it in. Yeah. Sometimes I take it out. Um, usually, I take it out if <laughs> if people have got something to add, because then I just whatever. But I, I feel very comfortable asking that.
1: That's nice, and you know, the legendary producer and executive producer Keith Slater, mostly of sixty Minutes, mm. you know, fame. Mm. His advice was uh, when you're going out to do an interview. Essentially, there are just two questions: what's the guts, and is there anything else you'd like to add? Mm. <laughs> just actually, what's the guts kind of covers it all, really, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just re- um,
0: someone told me this thing recently. It's a kind of cod Buddhist thing. Is the only right. the only question that really matters is to ask a person what are you going through right now which is the polite version of what's the guts right. isn't it yes. well what's the guts is the kiwi version of yeah. you know but what what are you experiencing right now you know what's happening in your life right now mm-hmm. is really the heart of most stories isn't
1: it uh-huh and not just stories but kind of conversations yeah, in yeah. normal life hey yeah. you yeah. know i think those conversations are much more likely to be rewarding and useful conversations for both parties than, you know, mm. when that question's not asked. Mm. Mm. Yeah.
0: So as a shy person who doesn't usually like talking about themselves. <laughs> How long did we talk? You've <laughs> gone pretty well. Um,
1: <laughs> that's the, because you're very easy to talk to Oh well,
0: thank you. Is there I'll have to cut that bit out though, because <laughs> you know that's that's gonna start sounding awkward. But is there anything you wish that I'd ask you? Is there anything you'd like to add? I feel like we should wrap this up.
1: Yeah. Um, is there anything? Uh, no, nothing of any particular great moment or value, um, aside from the fact that I do get really pissed off <laughs> when people go, oh, useless MSN, mainstream media, useless, mm. there is no journalism in this country, useless journalism, that whole narrative, that kind of takes hold sometimes in some mm. quarters. It's actually like, you know, you're you're really wrong. I think in some ways there's better journalism being done in 2019 in New Zealand than there has been at any stages of my last 30 years in this job.
0: But again, it's about cutting through the noise, isn't it? And there's so much garbage. And I mean, you work for a company that puts a lot of that garbage out into the world as well as great stuff.
1: Well, there has been going through a kind of concerted effort to minimise the garbage and promote more of the now, great Now, I got stuff. right
0: to the end before I said
1: that. <laughs> you did. Well done. But you're right, there's so yeah. much noise, and so many yeah, people just that's don't what I'm find... Saying. And I was going to say,
0: like, let's throw it back on the people that are saying that. was, was What I wanted to get to was... You know, people want to be spoon fed. So if it's not right. getting handed directly to them,
1: yeah, they I say, "I don't know exist. where to look."
0: I don't know where to look. But if you ask anyone who knows how to, you know, drive a web browser properly, be in they're, tune with they're the finding world. a lot of good, good things. Yeah. Although I would say, you know, like I, you know, don't want to just pick on stuff. Let's rag on the Herald for a bit. I will say that, you know, the Herald will show me like that stupid Seven Sharp Nipplegate story for free, but it won't let me read any of the commentary on politics without paying its paywalls. So, of course, you
1: are going to to get people saying... That there there will be a perception there that it doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that goes to the fundamental question, which is a whole different podcast, isn't it, which is about the sustainability of media and journalism. Well, we're booked for that that tomorrow, right? (laughs) (laughs) Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, no, I want
0: to thank you so much. I've, I've enjoyed your a lot of your work over the years, and and I can't believe you you wrote straight back to me and said, yeah, I'll talk to you because we don't know each other. So
1: thank you, Simon. Yeah. I've loved talking with you. You do. I've admired your work also. Um, it, yeah, it's been fun talking with you, and thank you for kind of yeah noticing that there is journalism around still because mm. that shit matters, right?